Welcome to Board Gaming with Education. We have another Geek Discussion episode. These episodes, we dive into a topic related to the board game hobby. These episodes are great for those that aren't familiar with some topics related to the board game hobby, or even if you are, you can listen to our perspectives on these topics as well. Today, we talk about Kickstarter. Kickstarter is a crowdfunding platform where you can go online and support a board game. So a lot of board game publishers use Kickstarter to to develop and fund and manufacture and produce their board games. So a lot of the games that have hit the shelves have came through or have been funded through Kickstarter. So Kickstarter is a great platform for board games. There are some games you get through retail that don't go the Kickstarter route as well. But we talk about that in the episode. We talk about maybe if you want to go onto Kickstarter, what you might expect to find on the platform as well. So let's jump in. Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Stats. All right, welcome to Board Gaming with Education. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have a geek discussion episode. We do a deep dive, or we dive deep into different topics related to the board game hobby. Today, we're talking about Kickstarter, and as always, I have Spencer and Jay with me. So I think they like to introduce each other. We do. We, like do we to still do that. like that? Spencer likes to do it. We like it me. a lot. Spencer loves it. I do. So sitting across from me is Jay from Cardboard East, the infamous blog about reviewing Asian board games. And I also hear he is going to buy or copyright Cardboard West and Coast to Coast, North, Northeast, and South. (laughs) (laughs) Any cardinal direction you can find. All of them. All of them. By South, Southwest, and North, Northeast. Yeah. Yeah. He's got them covered. You're going to have to buy them. Uh, Across from me, uh, drinking his cup of coffee after... Eating his pizza all by himself. Making me very sleepy. I, I feel sleepy just looking at your pizza and you. Is the ever handsome Spencer. He r- runs the first Western vegetarian restaurant in Taipei. He has two locations. And his second location, located near the Technology Building MRT station, he has an underground den man woman board game cave. Saving the world one board game at a time. And that, trying to, that's trying our, to push that's alcohol. That's our tagline. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so come bring your healthy selves over. Eat vegan. Get drunk. There are a lot of events down there in the basements, including Game of Thrones, uh, yoga classes, language exchanges, uh, board gaming events. And I believe this Saturday is a meeting of the local astronomers getting together and having a few drinks. Yeah. Talking about black holes. Or the black, black hole sun. <laughs> so our homework was to look at an educational game or to play an educational game. And we asked our listeners to let us know about their favorite or really good educational game that they enjoy. So have you guys played any other educational games since we had our last episode? It's, I found, really difficult to describe what an educational game is. It's easy to say that, oh, I learned something from the game. Therefore, it's educational. As in, I played Seven Wonders, so now I know what the Seven Wonders are. That's an educational game, right, Spencer? That familiar, right, Spencer? <laughs> <laughs> uh, two games came to my mind. The first one, which kind of le- 
leads into our topic of discussion later on is Ocean Crisis. Ocean Crisis is a two to four player cooperative game where you and your buddies are cleaning the city and trying to save the city from garbage and pollution. Every round, the city makes a lot of garbage, a lot of garbage. And you're trying to make sure that the garbage doesn't flow into the ocean and form a giant floating island of garbage that will overrun the city. That sounds a lot more comical, but it's quite fun. Very, very family friendly. When you look into the instruction manual, there's lots of information about recycling. And it's currently on Kickstarter. Actually, when this airs, I think the Kickstarter will end. Yeah, it has it funded. I think it's uh, it funded has funded since when and we're recording. It'll end on April thirtieth. Okay, but definitely check might, it out. Yeah. Ocean Crisis. Yeah, well, this will be out after. But have have they produced any other games other than that one? They're a local Taiwanese company. They've they've made a few educational games. They do a lot of playtesting. Very interestingly enough, with students in local schools here, so they'll go to a school or several schools and give copies of the game, and then teachers will play it for maybe a month and then report back. I should take a page out of their book. That's what I'm looking to do now. Well, there do you some go. play testing. Spencer, any educational games recently? Twilight Struggle. I didn't do my homework because I was too busy playing Cuphead. Playing video games. Video games. Video games. Really games. cool video game, though. So I did not do my homework again. Oh my gosh! Only- You're making me feel bad about this Asian stereotype. <laughs> yeah, we we got to <laughs> cheat off of Jay's homework. <laughs> In fact, I had two games to talk about, and you guys had neither. Oh, what's uh, going on? You know what? Yeah. Actually, that garbage game kind of reminds me of that game you and um, I forget his name played, but with polar bears. Oh, rescue the rescue polar bears. Rescue is that's what it's called? Yes. Polar bear rescue? Huh? Right. And it's very difficult, right? Yeah, it's extremely difficult. <laughs> did you guys ever? Did you ever beat that game? Yes, it's extremely difficult, though. I think it's because it 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 plays unintuitively. Like it's easy to learn how to play, but it's a little tricky of learning how you should play. I also played another game. It's not really educational, but it is historical. It's called uh, Indian Abyss. It's about the cocaine cartels in Medellin, Colombia. Cool. It's made by a manufacturer called GMT. And if you've never heard of them, that's fine. GMT is probably the biggest manufacturer of modern-day war games. And they are Twilight Struggle. Yeah. (laughs) They're they're a publisher or manufacturer? They're they're a publisher. They're a publisher. But they they publish a lot of war games every year. And they have uh, one series called the Coin Series. Coin, C-O-I-N, stands for Counterinsurgency. Uh, Aiden Abyss is the first one of the series of eight. I think three more will come out next year. Uh, It's called Counterinsurgency because it's an asymmetrical game where there are four different players each one's playing a different faction. Like one's playing the cartels, one plays the government, one's playing FARC, which were the communists in the jungle. And then each round of the game, a card is flipped over. And on that card is an historical event that actually happened. Now, the historical events can come in out of order, but each time an historical event happens and it affects something on the board and the players interact with it differently. And it's very, all the coin games are like this, they're all very interesting. 
the, all the factions play similar to how they operated in real life. And after you've played a coin game, it almost feels like you read or played through a history textbook. And I recommend them. But I recommend that you play it with someone who's already played them before because the rule books are vicious. Speaking of which, we need to sit down at some point and try to play uh, that other GMT game that you had dropped by. I haven't had the the courage to really get out the rule book and, and learn. You know Labyrinth. One? Labyrinth, yeah. Yes. The one in the Iraq war. Iraq war based, right? It's, or is it all Middle East? No, it's all. It's about the war on terror. Yeah. All right, so I think that would maybe qualify as educational. As a teacher, you could probably adapt it very easily to your history class. I'm not sure. I'm not a history teacher, so I'm not exactly sure, and I'm not familiar with the game, but maybe, Jay, would you say it's something that a teacher, history teacher could add on different learning objectives into the game? Sure. The, the, all, all eight of the coin games are based off of real-life events, and you could talk about all the different factions or political identities and what their motivations were behind them. And then you can also play the game and then see how they actually play together. It's one thing to read um, about the history, but to actually see these entities on a board interacting with each other, knowing what their motivations were, knowing what their limitations were, it brings the history to life in a way that you, I guess, wouldn't expect it to. Right, and I think it speaks to different types of learners too. Yes. Uh, Hands-on, kinesthetic and visual learners. All right, so speaking of learning, there's this term. We're going into the next section. What does Spencer know? What, what does, does Spencer know? know? Or Jay. Mm. And this one is actually, I know nothing. if you would have asked me maybe six months ago, maybe a year ago. I don't know. I learned this term pretty recently through reading a rule book. Hmm. And the name of this term is, if I can say it, orth, ortho, <laughs> orthogonally. <laughs> I can't say it. Orth, orthogonally. Orthogonally adjacent. That is very clearly an STD. <laughs> orthogonally adjacent. I know what that means. Spencer? I learned what it is like a year ago. I have no clue. It, I don't know. The guessing. Something about a nose. But it's adjacent. That should tell you something. So cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> An euphemism for butt. <laughs> no. I thought you were going for mouth cheeks, but that's fine. Or mouth cheeks. I know what it is, and I think I know how to say it. Orthogonally. Orthogonally. Is that like polygamy, but like a set number of people? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the root word both has to do with numbers, or no, maybe not. I don't um, know. Well, picture a chess grid. And then picture how a bishop moves, right? A bishop moves diagonally. Mm. A rook moves orthogonally. It moves up and down, left and right. So orthogonally adjacent would be like a rook. He only moves like north, south, east, or west. He wouldn't be able to move Oh, so this is like a directional term for games. Yes. A lot of games do this. Yeah, I, I mean, I just, the first time I've ever seen it was in the rule book for Walking in Burano that Jay helped with oh yeah i did the video for them yeah and that's from uh emperor s4 emperor, yeah located taiwan. here in taipei taiwan well that's good to know if i ever run into that in a rule book i know which direction it's supposed to go 
Othagonally. <laughs> and the next term, I think, I think maybe you both know this term, but it'll be a good term for others to learn. AP is the short version or the acronym. AP, advanced placement. That's the only AP I know. Or oh, analysis something paralysis. Uh, oh, analysis process. Oh, well, yeah, I know what that is. It <laughs> takes too long. <laughs> it causes rage quitting, also a term I know. Yeah, rage quitting. I think that comes from video games, maybe. Oh, really? And then into probably board games, too. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but uh, video games don't have table flipping. Ah, table flipping. Yeah. Have you ever actually flipped a table, speaking of which? I have seen someone jostle a table to the point where the game pieces on the board fell out of their proper places, and uh, they raged quit. Are we talking about an adult? Yeah, an adult. Oh, no. Yeah. I, <laughs> if I you want to call that behavior adult. I think the last time I flipped a table was chess, but I was like 12, maybe 13. Yeah. I, I think I probably have done something similar to like moving the pieces when I was younger. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think I would, but I know. Yeah, I've now been I just part die inside when somebody takes too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just win. Just win. There's I mean, there are a lot of games. I I enjoy taking my time sometimes, but I have to be with the right people that are ready for that type of game to kind of analyze. That's an interesting problem because designers uh, want to create games that are more and more complicated as the years progress, but they also want to stay away from that as well because no one likes that. No one. Have we actually defined what it is, by the way? It is. It's when someone takes a long time or to think about something, to analyze their turn, and it feels like they're paralyzed through in thought. Yeah. And okay. everyone else feels paralyzed at the table. But you know, those players really should be thinking about their turn before their turn comes to them. That is true. But some games are designed in a way that the game state fluctuates constantly until it is your turn. So there's no way for you to prepare for that. Right. I understand it happening a few turns a game for each person. Mm -hmm. But every turn is where it turns into a mind-numbing just kill me yeah there's um there's one person in the game group who when someone is entering ap she'll mumble fast game's a good game fast game's a good game do i know this person i think you do because that sounds very familiar <laughs> <laughs> well maybe you should hurry up on your turns then spencer Instead of explaining to everyone what orthogonally means and that you can't marry everyone at the table because you're already married. Uh, well, right. I can if we're orthogonalists. <laughs> 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 All right, so we did orthogonally and AP. Oh, is it orthogonally? I thought I said it wrong. It's not orthogonally? We can look it up on Google. Maybe Alexa, Alexa. Orthogonally. 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 All right, so let's move into the topic of the episode, and that is Kickstarter. What is Kickstarter? Spencer. Yes, we're going to... Kickstarter gonna, is... Before you answer, we're going to move into this because Spencer admitted to us he's not very familiar with Kickstarter, so if you are also not familiar with it, just pretend you're Spencer here, and he will be the one asking questions to kind of understand what it is. Spencer's more of an RPG guy, so if Spencer asked us what drive-through rpg is i would have not much of a clue 
course. I do know what drive through RPG Spencer is. Would be I have no idea what drive through RPG is. You do, right? No. You don't? You don't know what it no. does? Oh. Yes. I know something about games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Kickstarter, see, my whole experience with Kickstarter is um, an article about uh, reading Rainbow, LeVar Burton, breaking records by uh, trying to put out new reading Rainbow episodes. And that's it. I know it's, uh, uh, what's it called? Bunch of people giving money. What's that called? Crowdfunding. Crowdfunding. That's right. Crowdfunding. Right. I think that a lot of people have experiences of Kickstarter in that way that aren't in the board game hobby where they just see this this random project and they know this uh, personality that tries to raise funds to start right. something again, to kickstart something again. Yeah. There are a lot of Kickstarter ads on Facebook uh, these days. So even if you've never used the website or been there, you should... Their marketing is powerful enough that you've at least seen or heard you of know, it. You know, I don't think I actually have ever seen it on Facebook. I've seen it on Reddit. You read it on Reddit? I read it on Reddit, yes. Oh, Kickstarter f- is a crowdfunding uh, website, and crowdfunding just means a whole bunch of people give one person or entity money, essentially, to help fund uh, a project. Mm. What's interesting about Kickstarter and um, board games is that Kickstarter is only one of several crowdfunding websites. And Kickstarter gets most of its revenue. And I'm not not by a small margin, by a large margin, gets most of its revenue from board games. Yeah, because certain platforms... that We made that a pub quiz question, actually, on your suggestion. Uh, there's... GoFundMe and what's the other really big one? Indiegogo. Indiegogo, but they all they all have their own kind of specializing. Isn't GoFundMe like for Americans that can't pay for the Medicare? Uh, I want to laugh at that, but I don't because <laughs> it's really sad. GoFundMe is that is that for charity as well? Yes, so Kickstarter. Yes. It's you, yeah. it's for everything. But, it's for but everything. GoFundMe is different in that I think if you don't reach your target, you still get the money. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and then Kickstarter also, I think part of their terms of service, you cannot raise money for charity, though some Kickstarter groups or companies, organizations do find ways around that or just do it and Kickstarter doesn't enforce it. But I think as a part of their terms of service, you can't do it for charity. Interesting. Because it's based on a reward system, right? You you give a certain amount and you get something? Well, you're, each Kickstarter is different. If you... When was Kickstarter? When did Kickstarter start? So Kickstarter wa- is based in Brooklyn, New York, and it was f- started in two thousand nine. I will tell you that in just the ten years that Kickstarter has been around, it has revolutionized the board gaming industry. It completely changed the board gaming industry. And I remember ten years ago when people were talking about what, how do you expect a Kickstarter to change the industry? Are you worried about it breaking the industry? And a lot of people were right and a lot of people were wrong. I think because at the time there were, when Kickstarter first came around, people thought about it's okay, but there were a lot of small publishers on there and small publishers were able to publish their games, which I think is great. However, most of the games that were coming out were not that good. I think in my opinion, that all changed with one game called Alien Frontiers. I don't think you have it here, but I have seen it at 
Hooch. And Alien Frontiers was the first game from Kickstarter, in my knowledge, that was actually a good game. And people played it and said to themselves, wow, there are good games can come from Kickstarter now. And I think that piqued a lot of interest with a lot of bigger companies. And Kickstarter really exploded when other companies started, or bigger board game publishers, should I say, started using it. Um, most board game publishers, they the outdated business model is, I print a whole bunch of games, and then I try and sell it. Most board game publishers that I've talked to in the industry, they make deals with other distributors, and distributors will buy or reserve copies of games before the game is even manufactured. So that way, the publisher has a little bit of a safety net and is able to sell like 3,000, 4,000, you know, a couple of hundred copies of games right out the gate. And Kickstarter allows small publishers to not have any waste. So maybe you have, you know, 7,000 backers for your game and you know exactly how many games to print. Is that mostly a strategy that Taiwanese manufacturers do or everyone now? Everyone. It's mm, interesting. Yeah, so you were talking about how big board games and tabletop games control the market for Kickstarter. And I have some numbers. And all-time games sales reached $1 billion on Kickstarter not too long ago. Wow. And 69%, nearly 69% were board games and tabletop games. So that's $686 million. So that's just board games and role-playing games. Right. Wow. Well, the more than $1 billion is made up of video games and board games, but $686 million is board games and tabletop games, role-playing games. There are a lot of role-playing games, Spencer, actually, on Kickstarter. Yeah, I, that, that's, that's, I have a cursory experience from that, just from people talking. It's, people use it as a way of marketing as well. Even if they have a yeah. failed Kickstarter campaign, at least people hear about it. Well... For Kickstarter campaigns to work, there there are there's a huge science behind it now. Like there's a huge industry behind it. Publishers will have a Kickstarter specialist, like someone who runs the Kickstarter campaign, just to make sure that everything goes smoothly. There are talks with um, a lot of reviewers, including myself and some of my friends, that we all joke that a good board game and a good Kickstarter game are different because they are. In order for a game to do well on Kickstarter, it needs to do certain things. Uh, one of them, uh, jokingly, is just to have minis, miniatures. Like if a game, I could, you could read the rule books for some games that have come out on Kickstarter, and they are not good rules. And therefore, you think oh, it can't be a good game, but they have really good miniatures. And so it gets funded like over a million easily. Yeah, we're talking about RPGs too. I backed or bought my first RPG on Kickstarter. Is that Mothership? Mothership, yeah. How was it? I haven't played it yet. Is it based off of Mother, the video game? No, it's based off of another RPG. Um, well, it's Mothership. It's the module, one of the modules for Mothership. It's a pound of flesh by Tuesday Night Games. It's from. It's like a Mothership module. Nice. So we, we kind of talked about Kickstarter as what it is for board game companies, board game publishers. What about for the user, the user experience of using Kickstarter, like backing a game? I've uh, backed quite a few games on Kickstarter, and I'm currently backing two right now. 
I've had good experiences and I've had one bad experience. I one time I waited two to three years for a game, and the company that uh, well that ran the Kickstarter went out of business, became defunct, and the guy lost his house. And uh-huh. yeah, it was. And there were a lot of angry people, and there are people who are defending the publisher and saying, "Why well, he lost his house in this process? You know, give the guy some." slack and he'll get your game to you it'll just take time and i got my game and i was very very happy with it it was a good game yeah it's uh called glorious rome the black box edition if you can find an unopened one it, they run on ebay for a couple hundred dollars american hmm. in fact i think it, even an opened one can run about a hundred dollars so he lost his house but he made a collector's item yeah. That's an interesting accomplishment. <laughs> no, it's it's a really, really, really good game. Um, people debate whether or not they like the Black Edition more than the original release, but, but they're both both versions are really good. Do you interact with any of the creators? Do you like so you back a game and that's part of the experience is you get to watch them update the game. You get to ask them to make some changes to the game. A lot of people do that. Um, I'm not one of them. I, I just tend to to back a project and then I just kind of walk away and then I'll just wait a year until I get it. Um, the most recent business model for the last two years, or especially the last year, some companies are trying to push to have like a six month waiting period. So you back it six months later, you get the game or within a year you get the game. I know Kickstarter very recently, the most recent news in Kickstarter is that they canceled several campaigns from certain publishers. And they did that because the company launched a new campaign without having the previous campaign be fulfilled, meaning that they launched campaign A, it got it reached fulfillment, but they hadn't shipped out the games yet. And then they launched campaign B and they canceled like campaign B. It's like, you can't do that. You got to get these games to backers and then launch a new one. Yeah. And they're, I guess Kickstarter is doing that to protect the backers or the people that go on there to pay money for the game. Yes. I I think that it's it's a little bit mixed. You can go on Reddit and see lots of people's opinions on it. I kind of lean towards the backers because if Kickstarter doesn't protect the backers, then who will? And the backers are the people that are that are paying money for the exactly. game. Exactly. So are there any risks to well, there are, there are lots of risks with it anytime you play a game. Like, you could buy a game blindly. There are risks when you walk into a movie theater, except, you know, when you walk into Endgame, expect for a really good movie because it's really good. <laughs> it's really good. I have seen it. These two guys have not. I'm rubbing it in their faces. I love it. Um, but uh, I know a lot of people in, enjoy that, like being able to talk to publishers and... Uh, talking about their games and the rules get released and they're talking about that. I guess if we're going to start from the very beginning, if you've never heard of Kickstarter, it's worth exploring. It's worth checking the website out and seeing what they do. Um, Go to one of their most popular or most funded uh, board games on Kickstarter and just look and scroll down and see what happens. So after you fund or after you back the game, there are different levels of money that you could spend. So usually they'll have different, uh, like you can get the game or you can get the game and an expansion or you can get the game and a previous game from this publisher because the publishers want to get through their old inventory, which is great for them. 
and there are different levels that you can do. There's, um, they've tried to work logistics out in the past. So where people in Europe and Canada and Asia can pay cheaper shipping costs. It's really frustrating living in Taiwan, knowing that the game is made in China and then the game has to fly all the way across the Pacific to North America and then fly all the way back again to Asia. Like I find that infuriating. But in the last few years, they've had it delivered directly to Taiwan from China, which is very cool. Our shipping's like $5 compared to like Europe, which gets like 45 or the EU tax rate's kind of rough. I imagine that has something to do with now also the U.S. not, um, they used to supplement the post office for any shipping from China. Yeah. there's not a, happening anymore. There's a lot of that going around. Also, um, one of the things that makes a good Kickstarter board game is something they call stretch goals. And this is how they keep the hype going and keep the hype interesting. They'll have like, well, if you get 100 backers, you can get this also. If you have 200 backers, we'll get this. 300 backers, 400 backers. There are different stretch goals. And so the more money they get, the more backers they get, the cooler the end game product is. I said end game again. I meant final product. <laughs> I'm just torching you guys. So, um, for example, you could have like meeples that are silk screened. So there's cool stuff printed on your meeples. Uh, you can have player boards that are dual layered, you know, so that way when you put like a cube or something on it, it kind of, there's like a little hole that it gets stuck in. So if someone bumps the table, you don't have to murder anyone. You know, you, sometimes you get like cooler miniatures. Sometimes you have better card quality. So the cards are linen finished. Sometimes you get like the UV spot or you have a cooler protection like on the game box itself. There are lots of different stretch goals that people have come up with over the years. There's a term for this. What's it called? Um, blinging your game. Is blinging, that what it's yeah, blinging natural game. Blinging your game. Sure. So, like the Kickstarter can bling. Really? Is that a real term? Game. That's a real term. We should have saved it for what does Spencer know? <laughs> but that, but bling is is like from the '90s. Like it's yeah. used for lots of stuff. Like, yeah. Not just uh, board games. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else we need to talk about for? Well, I think it's really neat that. Um, I definitely want some companies have made millions of dollars off of it. Uh, we've talked in the past about Gloomhaven. Uh, Gloomhaven had two print runs. The first print run, I think it did a couple of hundred thousand. The second print run made over two million, you know, because so much buzz came from the first one. Um, there are companies like Simon, or fi- uh, originally known as Cool Mini or Not. Simon has made several Kickstarter games, including like Rising Sun, Blood Rage. Zombicide games, most of those just made well over millions. They're like a multi-million dollar company right now. Um, well, they make good games too. Yeah, I mean they look beautiful, but they're also good games. Yeah, and Jamie Stagmire came out with Scythe, and that one game on Kickstarter helped create this company of his that's worth millions of dollars now. That, that's one of, of those that. games I'd really like to play. That and Root Scythe, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, there, there are a lot of companies that just do this now. Um, but I think the controversial part about it, um, and maybe you've heard this or not, Spencer, but was uh, people feel that, well, there's a game on Kickstarter, but like games from actual publishers that go to retail, um, they don't like... Kickstarter is great and all, but it kind of hurts their local game stores because they don't have like these access to these cool games. And then people say like, well, you know, the... 
local game store guy, he can buy it on Kickstarter and then sell it. And I'm like, well, he has to raise, you know, his value up too, so he can make a little bit of profit. Otherwise, what's the point? And then some, I think some Kickstarter campaigns give special discounts to like local game stores. Uh, some just don't. Uh, Jamie Stagmeyer, who made millions of dollars off of Scythe, um, released his game Wingspan, a great game about birds. Um, he released that directly to retail, so not on Kickstarter. So there are all these big companies that are now also trying to help local game stores. I think because um, Kickstarter, what, started at 2009, right? Like definitely way past 2009 is when board game cafes became a thing. Yeah. Right. And then everyone has seen like how amazing that has been for the hobby. And so they really want to push support to those. Well, on the production side, I definitely run into an issue with Kickstarter. I didn't have a whole lot of experience with it, but it's daunting if you write something, right? And you want to put it up on Kickstarter, the production quality and the marketing required to get people to to notice is way, it's a barrier to entry. So you mentioned drive through RPG. I just went straight to drive through RPG before because there's no way I was going to make it look really cool. What what is drive through RPG? Well, it's just a platform for selling pen and paper RPGs. Uh, you can start with PDFs, but they'll also make it to print, like print print order print to order. It's kind of like you Game order Crafter, one. but for RPGs, I'd say. Oh, okay. I know Game Crafter. And so a game craft for RPGs being. And for anyone not familiar with game, cool. game crafter, it's a website where you just, you can create your own game and they'll print it and even sell it for you too. Yeah. Some, uh, I know some small publishers will contact game crafter to publish promos, uh, promotional versions of the games. So that way they can send those out to publishers to see if they want them or not. All right, so that's Kickstarter. It's a crowdfunding platform that has been a huge help to the board game hobby. Controversial. And a bit of controversy. So our homework for next episode, we are going to all do it together, Jay, Spencer, and I. I have a fortunate enough... I'm fortunate enough to have a board game budget from month to month, and I have not used it for the last couple months. So for extra content episode we're gonna go on to kickstarter and we're gonna back a game and you guys, what? Are, you guys are gonna help me decide what game to back what fun and for anyone listening your homework will just let us know check out kickstarter let us know either a game you backed or one game you're thinking about backing what and before we go jay and spencer where can they find you uh, you can find me at CardboardEast.com. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You could email me at CardboardEast at gmail.com. I write reviews. And I also write previews for Kickstarter games. Nice. Well, you can find me at Hooch under Cha near Technology Building MRT if you're in Taipei. Uh, or on our Facebook page, or you can find me on the northernrealm.blogspot.com and just, if you want, help me out, play test my game. And you can find it on DriveThruRPG as well. Yeah, but that's the first edition. Don't play that one. Oh, okay, so go to his website. <laughs> play the second edition. 
you for listening in this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games, or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening, and until next time.